welcome to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Our podcast was created to provide a safe space where women can share inspiring stories, real life experiences, and new ideas for how to break barriers, overcome challenges, and grow their career and selves. The podcast features incredible interviews with inspiring women, as well as a series of sessions that are focused on how you can grow as a purpose-driven leader, how you can advance your career, and how you can achieve all the goals you cite for yourself, personally and professionally. We're just getting started, and we want you along for the journey. Follow us on Instagram at LatticerJennifer, and also visit our website at womenleadershipnation.com. Helen Ashton is currently the Vice President of Human Resources at Campbell Company of Canada. She obtained a bachelor's degree focused on economics and information technology from York University and a master's in industrial relations and human resources. In this episode, we discuss her career journey from the military to human resources and the current transition to the digital workplace due to the COVID-19 pandemic where she shares incredible insights into how to lead in the new workplace. We also discuss the importance of mental health. Helen shares with us some of her best practices for supporting a team during this challenging time in the world. Now, I would like to welcome Helen Ashton to the Woman Leadership Nation Breaking Barriers podcast. Thanks so much for being on this podcast today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So I had the pleasure of being able to speak to you before the podcast, and I can't wait for the audience. They're going to just learn so much from you. I'm so excited. Um, So let's get started. When you were younger, what did you want to be? So I was actually one of those children that were giving my parents grief and gray hair uh, because I didn't know who I want to be. And it changed based on a book I read or a movie I saw or somebody new that I've met. So it was you know, there was a period of time I wanted to be an astronaut, then I wanted to be a detective, then I wanted to be a journalist, then a lawyer and a doctor. So it was sort of all over the map for me. That's awesome. My parents didn't think so. They were (laughs) and stick with it already. (laughs) (laughs) I think it shows though that you have a lot of creativity, right? And adventure. So that's good. Yeah, let's go with that. That's not your take, but let's go with that. I like that a lot better. And so, you know, when was it when you started to think, okay, I need to think, you know, when you're young, you can be anything. And certainly if I ask my eight-year-old, nine-year-old, he's going to tell you something different too every week. But, you know, when was it that you started to say, okay, I need to get serious about it. Maybe, you know, what you wanted to study and maybe a little bit about, you know, what in your life, what, I know there's some incredible things that have happened to you in your past that maybe influenced your decisions as well. Yeah, so I think for me, it was uh, when I was in my teenage years uh, for high school back home, you had to decide sort of what stream you're going into. And at that time, I wanted to be a doctor. So I went and I did my research. And it seemed at a time that the best way to become a doctor was to go through the military. So I've enlisted um, and had after my first year, I did my three months practicum in the field hospital in the hotspot. 
um, and realized very, very quickly into the three months that being a military doctor and being out in the fields and in the hospitals was not my thing. I just did not have the stomach for it. Um, but I also spent enough time in the military at that point to realize that I actually like the military and there is the adventure in it and you get to travel to different places and make the world a better place while you're at it. Um, so I put the transfer request and I transferred out from the medical program that I was a part of to um, a unit that was called emergency response. So okay. basically what they were doing is if there is, um, let's say, a big natural disaster, earthquake, or there is a riot going on and the local police and the medical team couldn't handle it, they would call this military unit. So my medical education didn't go completely to waste, um, right? At the same time, I also got to travel. So I did that for a bit. And then on a dare, I applied to a special, put my application through and went through the test for the special forces unit and got accepted. Wow, and that's that- amazing. Maybe for, for those that don't know, what, what is the special forces? What's the difference between that and say the military? So I think it's, you know, the best way to describe it when you think about, you know, U.S. and Navy SEALs or Rangers, like that's sort of what the Special Operations Unit does. So they're very much in the elite force with uh, a lot of training, but also jacks of all trades, right? So they are the ones that are going to get dispatched to the middle of nowhere with no support. Wow. So you kind of have to figure out life skills very quickly. Yeah. But again, back to the medical training, you know, we had to do our own first aid and Um, So that training didn't go completely to waste either. And we got a chance to go. So I've got some time in Iraq and Afghanistan and Chechnya. It was. uh, Were you ever scared? It's interesting. Um, And at that time, I can't say that I was. I think there is something about being so young that you feel completely invincible. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. Bad things happen to other people. And even though you're seeing it around you, you know, there is this confidence that you have when you are young that it's like, oh, but that will never happen to me. Um, And I also would say that I think things that happen in the military happen so quickly that half Mm -hmm. the time you don't get a chance to be scared in the moment. I think for me personally, it was more after the fact. Once you calm down, once you're in a safer, different environment, then absolutely, your hands start shaking and you kind of go, oh my gosh, what just happened? How did I navigate this? Why did I do this versus the other? Or sometimes there is times where I actually remember this point and then there is just blank. I don't know how I got from there to a completely different situation. Your adrenaline is just kicking in and then... Do you, did you find too, like, um, sorry, but this is just, I find it so interesting because you're, you're such kick ass <laughs> and, and everything that you do. And, um, you know, did you find also that, that, uh, team environment, did that help you as well? I, you know, this was interesting and there's two sides to the story because when I was in the medical program, you know, it was a little bit more accepted that women were part of this program. And even then, they weren't doctors, they were nurses, best case scenario. Uh, very, very male-dominated industry. And the emergency response was even more so. There's very, very few women. And then when I got into the special forces, you know, just for perspective, there was 600 of us going through the program. At the same time, there was three women. Wow. Um, and at that point, you know, at, at least back home, women weren't supposed to be in the active duty, right? If you're in the military, maybe you're a dentist in the hospital, or maybe you are 
um, you know, somewhere behind the lines doing accounting or something. Um, but you definitely weren't in the front line of this. So it was a very interesting dynamic where men didn't want a woman around. And they showed it all in the different ways, but there was very often a situation of, well, you shouldn't be here. And I'm certainly not taking orders from you, even though you're a higher ranking officer. Or what right. do you know? I don't want to be on the unit with you because when we are in the action, I need to worry about you. So this whole, you know, I need to protect you because you're a woman and you can't hold your own. So not only have to worry about me, I also have to worry about you. There's a lot of that dynamic that was definitely going on. But I have to say, you know, when we were there and we were together and we were in the middle of it, all of that somehow seemed to completely wash away. And oh, so good. Yeah. Because it's like the task at hand is so critical that, that your mind doesn't have you know, even the allowance to allow for those types of discussions. It's just how do we get through this? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And so you're in the military. This is very, very interesting. And so, and then you get into the special forces, which is super cool. And then sort of where, you know, where does your career go from there? And what kind of experiences did, would you, do you still take from that? Yeah. So I think from there, the career ended where, when my family, my parents, decided to move to Canada and all the siblings decided that we were going to move with them. So that was the end of the special operations unit. Um, and we came to Canada and, you know, to Canada, we came with a few suitcases, $3,000. Still remember that, even though it was over 20 years ago. Um, and we came with, you know, no English, no, um, no relatives that are here, no friends, just, Hey, looking for a better life kind of thing, which is a story I think of many immigrants who come here. And if anything, we probably were more fortunate because at least we did have some money and we did come as a family so there was some support. Um, But to answer your first question, I think what I take from the military and what I really appreciate about how um, training was done back home is they give you a lot of leadership skills very, very, very early on, you know, it's very, very likely that at 16, 17, you know, you're going to be leading a unit of seven or eight people. So the Mm -hmm. whole concept of you need to delegate, you can't do everything on your own, you need to trust the team in the moment to have you back, you know, regardless of what happens on the outside of it. I think these are the skills that I definitely take with me in my life, but also in my corporate world, right? It's around You don't need to be the one doing everything. Just trust and delegate. That's incredible because I have some friends that actually were served in the military as well at a young age. And um, they and then now they're in the corporate world and they say the exact same thing that and in fact, they're really successful in their careers because of it, because they were able to, you know, have all of these experiences. That's incredible. And I also will build on that. I think the the other thing that military does, and depending on what you've done in the military, is perspective, right? I Mm, think it's just a very different perspective. And it was just not that long ago that I was having a conversation with a friend who works in the supply chain world right now. And things are challenging, right, with COVID and getting things across the border and getting things manufactured. And he feels the weight of the world on his shoulders because he can supply what his sales team is asking him for. And, you know, I said to him, I said, look, no matter what happens to you and your world, it will never be as bad as. And I went back to my military experience where 
our logistics folks have some wires crossed and they forgot to pick us up in Afghanistan. So there was 10 of us who were supposed to be picked up and they just forgot. So we waited and waited and waited and nobody was there. So then we had to figure out how to get home on our own. Oh my gosh. No matter what mistake you make. Yeah, you're never, I know. I mean, we get along so well because um, I have the exact same, like I say to my family, I say to my friends, like whenever something bad happens, I always say at least (laughs) because it can always be so much worse. And, you know, at least you're still going to survive. You know, it's it's fine. You know, like life is never that bad. It's all about perspective and mindset. So you already had, you know, you had that experience. You had that ability. Did that help you when, like, it's very difficult to come to Canada and not know English, um, especially at the age you were at as well? Um, and because you know, if you were younger, maybe you were, you know, you go to school and start to learn at a, at a really young age. Did that also help prepare you for? you know, I can do this. I've done much scarier. You know, I think it's a great question. And I never thought of it until you now asked it. I think it did. Because when I reflect on my experience, when we just came to Canada, again, we didn't speak any English, we didn't have any Canadian education, none of us did. So the jobs that we could apply for were rather limited, right? It's whatever jobs you could do. And, you know, to get cash under the table kind of thing. My very first job, I'll never forget that was, um, selling ice cream out of those little tricycles. Um, Mm. And for that job, you get commissions. And on my first day, I got $7. I worked whole day and I got $7 for it. Um, And at that point, I was the only one working. So that was all the money that we had to go and buy groceries in the grocery store. Um, And then, you know, once things started to stabilize a little bit, um, I will remember, I'll never forget, there was a good about 18 to two year period where I had a newspaper route uh, Toronto Star that had to be delivered in Etobicoke, actually. Um, and the newspapers need to be in the houses, you know, by five o'clock in the morning. So I would get up at 11 at night, go get my newspapers, go get them delivered, come home, get a cat nap. And then again, we didn't have enough money. So I didn't have money to go anywhere else. So I would have to walk to my day job at McDonald's. I think we yeah. all started there. Yeah, I, work, I started there. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's a great place to start. Fantastic place to start, yeah. right? Um, so I would walk to the McDonald's for my day job, then walk back, have my lunch, and then walk five kilometers the other way. Again, didn't have money for a bus token um, to go to the English school. So there was this public school that had classes in the evening for the folks that came to Canada, immigrants didn't speak English and wanted to improve their skills. So that took quite some time. And I do think that maybe it was the military training around resiliency and you can do it and you got it. It's okay not to get, you know, eight hours of sleep in the row every now and then, you know, complete yeah. drive. So I think that's probably what got me through it, quite frankly, now that you've pointed it out. Yeah. And I feel like you have this uh, determination that it's, you know, I think we've all been in these situations where it's overwhelming at times. I know I I have been working full-time being a single mom at the time and also trying to do my MBA. You don't think about all the components. You think of what do I have to get done next? And and you keep going. (laughs) One day at a time, one step at a time, one minute at a time. I hear you. So, so then what was, so what, Tell us a little bit more about the journey then from, from this point then. So you're, you're studying English and then how do you, 
you go to university, everything. It's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. So then um, studying English, working full time, realized the importance of education. So then I started preparing for my English test so that I could apply for university. When did my tests? Um, the scores were incredibly low. Um, so the only program I could get into was computer science. Uh, and it wasn't the passion at all. I just needed a university degree. Um, I thought I needed a university degree. And uh, I was starting to explore some of the other options of what to do for a living. Uh, because, again, we couldn't really afford my education. So um I decided that what I really, really liked is the whole thought of not having a boss. You know, one thing about military is there is always a boss and a boss's boss and, you know, a few more up there somewhere. Um, And, you know, when they tell you jump, you ask how high, you don't debate the question of jump, right? Um, So being my own boss seemed like a good idea at the time. And um, the military training taught me a lot of martial arts skills. And I thought, oh, that would be really, really cool um, to open a studio. And really, at that point, I also started realizing now it's called personal branding. But at the time, it was just the thought Mm -hmm. around there was a consistency in some of the things that I wanted to do when I was a little girl. Right. The doctor and the detective and the astronaut and, and the writer. It was all about making the world a better place. Right. It's having that position and having that opportunity to tell the story. So I thought it would be great to open a martial arts studio, which I did. And then um, one of the aspects of the martial arts studio was around women's self-defense. Because at that point, I got exposure to some of the women's children, some of the fascinating women and their journeys uh, from the life of abuse to the life that they're leading at that point. And I really wanted to give back and to give the skill set. Because what martial arts did for me is it's not only the skill set to defend yourself in the situation that hopefully never happens, Mm -hmm. but also around confidence, also around the way to carry yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my partner and I just designed this program, which was absolutely fascinating. And the whole premise of that was self-defense for women, designed by women, right? And taught by women, because there is a lot of women's self-defense classes out there. But what we found is most of the time they were taught by men. Mm -hmm. And while my male peers in the industry are phenomenal people, and it all comes from a really, really good place, I think what was missing is it's very hard for men to relate to how a woman is feeling in a certain situation. We are physiologically different, right? So what a man can do in this situation, women can not necessarily do. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's a physical altercation, just how those altercations happen in male male, you know, sort of instance to when it's a woman and a woman or a woman or a man is very different in terms of how they sort of escalate and develop. So we did that for which we got a lot of grief because our stance was we teach in this class for women. There is no man in the gym. Even if you're a part owner of the business, you still need to walk away, right? Um, You can't have- You wanted to create a safe spot, right? Because I would assume some of that confidence is also being able to honestly talk about what your fears are and things like that. 100%. It's about creating the safe spot. It's about creating the environment where you feel everybody's on the same page. Nobody's judging. Nobody's watching. And then part of it is around, you know, it's unfortunate, but most of the time when women get abused, it's by a member of the family, right? So it's really about ensuring that, 
and, and again, no judgment here, but mm-hmm. don't don't tell your male relatives about what is it that you're learning, how you can apply it, because right. then they know what to expect should the situation mm-hmm. arise. So it was a two different sort of things that we looked at at that time. I can't believe you brought up though the confidence part because um, something happened last just last night. It was pretty late. It was about 1030 at night. And my daughter, the only job she has, she's a teenager, is to put the garbage out. And so she's her, she had put it out early, early. And then um, we, she heard, because her bedroom's in the front, that the garbage um, had started to roll down the street because it's so windy out. And so she went outside, it was at 1030. She went outside to move the um, bins. And there was, she said there was a truck, a guy in a truck that was driving by and then turned around and then started driving slowly towards her. And she came running into the house. And so, you know, nothing happened, but it's again, that, that fear. I mean, she's even afraid to, because there's so much out there now, people talking She's, I would love for her to also, it reminds me her to get some kind of self-defense because not that some, you want to ever have to use it. You don't, but even that, you know, that you have the ability to, that's incredible. So you're, you're giving back in so many incredible ways. So what, what, um, what, so what was your journey after, after this then? Yeah. So, and after that, I, um, had some really good mentors along the way who saw me doing some self-defense seminars and some of the other work that we were doing and said, hey, you're actually a pretty good in front of the public. Um, and once I heard it a couple of times, I said, oh, maybe teaching, maybe if I went into and taught, that will give me a platform to reach more people. So I did that. I went to a private college and I taught there for a couple of semesters and I realized that that wasn't really it. Um, but it was also summertime. So I applied for a receptionist job actually, and got a phone call back to say, you don't qualify. Um, but we have a position in our payroll department and that's how my HR journey started. It started with, you know, payroll contract for three months and almost 20 years later, here I am. Yeah. That's incredible too, because I mean, as you've been talking about your journey and certainly you can, all your skills are applicable to everything, but to be, you would have never have predicted you'd end up in HR, but it's amazing. It's almost like everything happens for a reason. And so when you started, did you start to fall in love with a profession or feel like intuitively that this is where you're supposed to be? Yeah. So I think it was actually when I was doing that three months assignment. So what ended up happening was it was a three month summer payroll position. Um, and then they needed one of us. There's a number of us that they hired for this role. And one of us had to stay behind to do things like record of employments and, you know, finish the filing, nothing glamorous. But by the, but by the time I was done with that, it was time to start hiring for the next season. So I got a hand in going to the job fairs and taking talking about the company and scheduling the interviews, sifting through the resumes, you know, interviewing people, onboarding them. So the whole cycle I got a chance to see in my first year, which was absolutely fantastic opportunity. And this is when I realized it's like, oh, I like that. I like making the phone call to the person to say, you've got the job and just hearing the excitement on the other end of the phone. And again, back to the personal brand, right? It's all about making the world a better place, even if it's one act, one person, one job offer at the time. So definitely fell in love with that. 
And in that point, I was finishing up my undergrad degree. So I decided that if I chose what I'm going to do, I might as well just go and get some education. So I went and got into my master's program, finished my master's program. Um, and I think that was such a great jumping point because it just gave such a wonderful theoretical, granted, but overall perspective on what else is out there and how to think creatively and critically about certain things. So it was a fantastic journey. Oh, that's incredible. And so that's where you are now as well in HR. HR. Yes. And at Campbell's. At Campbell's. So one question I didn't uh, uh, suggest is, so what's your favorite soup? I just have to ask you that. So Campbell's has a phenomenal line of organic products called Pacific and creamy tomato soup from Pacific is absolutely favorite with a beautiful second of ginger carrot. Okay. So I'm going to definitely have to try it because tomato is definitely by far my favorite as well. (laughs) You'd love it. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to ask you a little bit about, you know, how do you, in every area of your life, you've continued to grow. So how do you continue to grow, but also not burn out at the same time? Because you can only withstand so much. And particularly now we'll get into COVID a little bit later, but, you know, what have you done to, to help maintain that balance? Yeah, and balance is the key word, actually, Jennifer, and I think overused world of the year, for sure. But it's all about balance. And there are days I have to admit that there is a lot more work in my day than there is life. And then there's days where it's other way around. Um, So balance means different things for different people. But for me, it means starting my morning with the time for myself. So I still get military training, right? I still wake up at an ungodly hour, four o'clock in the morning every day, including the weekends. Um, But what it does, it gives me that time, time to myself. I'm an extreme introvert in spite of everything that I've just said, Um, extreme introvert. And I like that time to myself. So when I start Mm -hmm. my day with spending some time doing whatever feels right for me at that moment, it could be going for a run. It could be doing a yoga class. It could be going down to the basement and, you know, doing some kickboxing. It could be having a coffee and listening to a TED talk on the topic that is very inspiring or very relevant at a time. But that me time is really, really, really important. Um, And then after that, I try to do something, you know, in this whole family life house bucket, you know, whether it's throwing a lot of laundry in or making my meal plan for a week, whatever that might be. So that way, when I do get into front of my laptop, I am prepared. And I feel like there are so many things that already got accomplished in the morning, but there is that rush of, you know, adrenaline or whatever you want to call it. It's there. And you feel that you're such a good trajectory and it's only 5.30 in the morning and most of the world is sleeping and you already got 20 things done. No, that's okay. So I'm so not a morning person, but I did. There's a few times I've had to get up really early to finish something. And I'm always like, why don't I do this more? Because it is, everybody's asleep. You're able to just focus and having that me time to, to really be able to um, center yourself. And I find it interesting too, that you talk about being an introvert, because I also am, uh, I find I have a component of that too, as well. But from the the perspective that I feel like at a point you just need to recharge and be in your mind. Do you find that as well? hundred percent, you know, and, and my family got to know me really, really well. Like there would be a day that's a really tough date at work, a really tough situation, whether it's personal or professionally, quite frankly. And I would come home and they just know that look, it's like, 
we need to leave mommy alone. Here's your coffee, honey. Um, go do what you need to do and then come back when you're ready. 100%. Because I think, especially now with COVID, and I know you said we're going to talk about it later, but I feel for us as women, and I'm generalizing here, but we have yeah. so much more going on, right? Yeah. A lot of us have careers. A lot of us do volunteering. A lot of us stepped up to help our elderly neighbors to get their groceries or, you know, what have you. And then all of a sudden we are at home with our families where we need to cook three times a day, do dishes three times a day, clean that much more. And I think we all tend to, let's just do it all. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm a superwoman of sorts. Um, And it's very, very difficult. And it comes a point where it's, you hit the wall and just like, I can't do anything else. I can't process any new information. I just need to recharge. And I'm trying really, really hard not to get to that wall, to recognize some of the sign and just find that time for myself um, before that happens. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, really getting into COVID now for sure is, um, are you finding, I mean, it's it's really clear that there's going to be a new normal for a little while. Um, based on even the fact that when we get immunized, there's other variants and we're just going to have to be more careful in that. Mm -hmm. And and so you touched on it a little bit, but, you know, in, in your personal life was, did it take some time too to realize that, you know, at first a lot, what I'm talking to a lot of people, they talk about the fact that um, they are a little bit overwhelmed, but it sounds like you're able to get yourself into this new pattern of, you know, being able to recognize that there might be, you know, times that you need to, you, we can't get everything done all the time. So what, what is the experience generally been for you on a personal level, but also professionally? How has that changed in your organization as well? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there's just so much to talk about here. I think we could spend an hour probably talking just about I think that. so too. <laughs> I know. Um, but one of the things I would say is um, delegate right? Ask for help and delegate. And um, I'm one of those people who is a perfectionist and I like everything done just so. And and I really had to snap out of it really quickly. So it's been a journey for me, but I think COVID definitely just exponentially exaggerated some of these things. And I'll give you, you know, a silly example. I appreciate that. But my eight-year-old, he vacuums, right? Like that's Mm, one chore that I don't need to do. And he vacuums and yes, he doesn't do it well, Right. And he misses the spots. And yes, he takes twice the time or three times the time that I would if I were to do it. But I think what it does outside of, you know, teaching him how to take care of the house when he's older, um, what it also does, it gives me that time back. You know, that half an hour I would have spent vacuuming, I can now spend on something that only genuinely, truly I can do. And I don't have to delegate. And okay, well, it's not perfect. But, you know, two days later, he'll vacuum again. I'll just tell him what spots to take a look at. Yeah. Um, right. So I think it's great for them too, but to realize like in COVID, this is a, everybody has to pitch in. Everybody has to pitch in. Yeah. And I think it's such a great life skill also going forward. And it's, you know, with women history month being this month, when we are recording this, it's, it's about gender roles, right? Why is it that mom has to cook and clean and vacuum and do all those other things? You know, you live in this house, you need to contribute. That's his new favorite word, by the way, contribute. Aww, okay, why doesn't our cat contribute to the house? <laughs> that was a different conversation to have. <laughs> um, but, but I think it's really genuinely about that. And, and I think being very purposeful around 
what do I need to do versus what could others do and be okay with asking for help just because I'm going to my husband and saying, Hey, honey, can you go and get groceries this time around? And here's the list. Or, hey, you know, um, can you just do something else around the house? It doesn't mean that I can't keep up, but doesn't make me less capable as a mom, wife, employee. It just means that there's a lot to go on and everybody needs to contribute and teamwork makes dream work, right? Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you're, you're working from home now too, right? And so how is that, you know, even from a mental health perspective or just even from like, especially in the winter, not getting outside, like how has that affected you? And also your, your team as well, you know, how do you, I love, I love to find out um, because I'm asking everybody in terms of with COVID going on, how are we still engaging with others as well? I think that's a great question. And I think that would be different for every other organization. But here's what I would say. Yes, we couldn't get out outside probably as much. uh, But we are very fortunate personally that we do have some space in the basement. Um, And Nintendo Switch is the greatest thing ever invented. And there's some really... There you go, right? Um, Really, really good games. And we got games that, you know, they're very active and you stand up and you either dance or you, like there's some quests that we need to do and it's very engaging and you can do them as a family, right? So yes, it's a very different kind of activity and and workout, but it's also um, gets you physically active instead of sitting in front of the screen or doing something else that's very sedentary because we sit all day. You can also connect. You can also connect with other people too. We'll have to have a. We'll have to have a match. <laughs> you got it. You are just so you and your buddy. Sure. So I think that was one, and then just really making that space around. You know, there's lots of videos on YouTube, whether it's Zumba or yoga or what have you. Just finding mm. that time, the time that I typically would go for a walk. Maybe that's time for that. And that always happens to me Um, in the winter. I tend to fall a little bit more about self-discovery and self-reflection and more learning. So I think that also helped a little bit with mental health and focusing and perspective and learning new things. That was definitely helpful. And then to answer your question as a team, you know, I am very mindful about mental health. I'm very mindful about overall well-being for my team and the rest of the organization. And A couple of things that I found worked really well for me is uh, sometimes turn the camera off during a meeting. You know, I think sometimes it's so exhausting to be on camera, looking at your reflection all day long and taking a phone call versus a Zoom meeting or Microsoft Teams meeting or whatnot sometimes makes just such a difference. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a call where, you know, I don't need to contribute and it's really more of information sharing I would honestly take it on my phone and I'll pace up and down the hallway just so that I'm looking at the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think respecting personal boundaries. I've always been a big believer in that. Um, We set the rules with the team around, hey, there is no phone calls or emails or meetings before this time. There's nothing at lunch. There's nothing after this time. And yes, there is emergencies that come up. And yes, there is something that maybe has to happen right now. And it's outside of these hours that you've agreed on. But asking for permission to say, hey, you know, I really, really need to do it. And really making sure it's an exception and not the rule really created that space and the separation for the team. And are you seeing too that, for example, when you've you uh, do do the Zoom and you're in somebody's home and you get to see even sometimes their children. Are you finding that there's maybe even a stronger bond between 
the employees as well? I would agree with that 100%. I think we are in each other's homes, sharing decorating tips. And I've had times where my little one sat on my lap when I was in the meeting, and he tried to contribute. There was one time. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, contribute in a different way. Um, I'll okay. get that situation where I, um, I got logged on to the meeting, went downstairs to get something coming upstairs. And I hear him sitting and talking saying, well, what about 60 plus 60? Oh, okay. What about 70 minus 40 or whatever he was doing? <laughs> and I thought he was talking to himself. And then as I walk into my office, he is in my chair talking to my team and they're doing his homework for him. Oh my God, that's so cool. You know what? I think that he's very brilliant because you know what? He's taking advantage of the situation. He's using some bright minds. But I think it's fantastic, right? Because how often do we realistically get to meet each other's kids or each other's spouses or see, you know, what the house is like and what's that personality outside of the workplaces. I think that's been fantastic. And I think also it very naturally flows in a very personal conversation that we sometimes forget to have in the office, right? One of the things that we started doing that I think works really, really well is starting with a check-in. Every meeting, you know, most of the meetings, I shouldn't say every, but most of the meetings, we would start with a check-in to say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? And that, you know, check-in could take a number of different forms. But what it does is it if you go around the room, you really truly understand where people are. And somebody might say, hey, I'm really excited today. My husband got a promotion. I'm really excited today because it's sunny. But somebody could say, hey, look, my little one was up all night and I'm on the lock of sleep. So that it also gives that personal connection, but that perspective into, oh, I need to meet that person where that person is at. And if they ask in the same question time twice, it's not because they're distracted, it's because they're tired or that I deliver my message in a different way or pause or or adjust the style somehow. And I think that's been fantastic because that's not the conversations you would typically have in the beginning of the meeting when you're in the office. Yeah, that's what's so exciting. And and actually, I've been doing a lot more research into like what the impact is going to be even from an empathy perspective and what the leadership styles are going to change. Now that like, there's definitely long term, a lot of companies are looking at having some kind of um, environment where it may not be fully virtual. In some cases, it will be. And then others, it will be a you know, a hybrid model and what does that type of leader look like? So it's, it's so interesting. No, I'm just going to build on that for one quick second. I think it's interesting you said about leaders and I would build on that. The leadership styles will need to be different, but I also think that expectations of people leaders just skyrocketed overnight, right? And when you think about what a good people leader looks like today is it's a person who is very empathetic. It's a person who has a high level of emotional intelligence to pick up on all those different cues. It's a person who is very familiar and, and is able to identify mental health you know, issues on the team and say, hey, this is a bad day versus, hey, I think there is something more going on. I need to support this individual. And then on top of it, all the you know, flexibility arrangements and social justice issues we've been experiencing, 
you know, employees look to their people leaders to share their opinions and share their perspective. And for a lot of people leaders, this is new, you know, politics or religion or IND, it's sometimes not the concepts that we're comfortable discussing outside of our personal lives. And now all of a sudden we need to. Yeah, I'm so glad you built on that. That's incredible because I do feel like that's one area that organizations will need to look to, to support their leaders during this time. And also to make sure that, you know, like you said, they have have all those soft skills as well as, um, you know, support for themselves as well as they're maybe putting even more pressure on themselves to make, to make sure that, and even the emotional pressure of making sure that all their employees are okay and things like that. So it's, oh, that's another topic. We could just, we can have a podcast just on the future of work. That would be so, so fun with you. I'd love that. No, I'll take you up on that too. (laughs) Okay. So I'd love to ask you to, um, you know, I'm big on, uh, you know, you grow when you overcome fear and when you do things that scare you, what, what, what does that mean to you? I think it's a fascinating question. And in all honesty, I also haven't been thinking about that for a very, very long time. And it's only after I had Zachary that I started seeing him as a toddler, sort of being very brave and there's no hesitation. And he's so great at learning how to walk and crawl and climb trees and doing all the things that you shouldn't be doing, but he's doing them anyway, because that's how he's exploring the world. And the word that keeps coming back to my mind is he's so fearless. He has no fear. And somehow along our growing up journey, we become fearful, right? It it starts from be careful. Don't do this. Don't don't look there. You know, you shouldn't be walking at night. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing the other. And then there becomes peer pressure. And then there starts, I don't want to fail. So I think fear is something that we learn as we grow up versus something that, you know, always there. So it's always there when the lion is chasing you. Sure. Um, but when you're doing a presentation, there is no lion chasing you. You're yeah. going to be just fine. But your body is telling you that's happening, right? And right? so, yeah. So I think it's really around uh, managing your mind, um, right? And for me, it's a couple of things. I think it's interesting you brought up the military example, because I think in the military, things happen so quickly that your brain sometimes doesn't get a chance to catch up and it doesn't get a chance to get scared. Um, and I took that and the way I use it in the corporate world, when somebody comes to me with a project that's really scary and intimidating, just say yes. Just say yes before your brain gives you a gazillion of reason as to why not. Yeah. Um, and I'm not promoting saying yes to everything, just so that we're clear. That's not what I'm yes. saying. <laughs> right? But those big, scary, adventurous things, say yes to. Um, and then I also was having a conversation with one of my mentors, and he is a fascinating man who said, you know, you learn from failures a lot more than you learn from your success. Oh, and I think yeah. it really stuck with me because... When I start thinking about this overwhelming project or this big promotion or something else that I'm doing that's totally out of comfort zone, I try to put that perspective in to say, hey, look, the best case scenario, I'm going to succeed and I'm going to be a superstar. The worst case scenario, I'm going to fail miserably. I'm going to learn a ton and I'm not going to do that ever again. But in reality, you never in one of those extremes, you're going to fall somewhere in between where it's going to be some phenomenal learning and there's going to be some great success that comes from it. So taking that breath, 
and explaining this to this wonderful brain of yours that th- there is no lion chasing you yeah. um, and it's going to be okay. I think it's just such a wonderful opportunity to reframe the situations and all of a sudden it's not as scary. I love that. I think it, it definitely is your mindset. Like you really can psych, like psych yourself out. And I think another thing that I've done before, if something that's scary is um, intentionally thinking, yes, I am scared. And it sim- sounds really simple, but almost like intentionally recognizing, yeah, it's I'm scared, but that's okay because this means this must be really, like I'm actually going to grow. I'm actually doing something versus that something that's super comfortable and I just keep doing it. It's not taking you to that next place that you need to be, right? I love that perspective. I'm totally chalking that up in my little bucket. I'm going to be <laughs> like, I've actually, so I've actually at points, you know, even said it to myself out loud. So hopefully nobody was around, but be like, okay, this is scary. It's all good. And once, you know, it's only going to be an hour. So if it's like speaking in front of, you know, couple hundred people or something, right? It's only an hour. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I love that you said that because I am petrified of public speaking. I'm the person who's just, just please don't throw up and don't faint. That's all oh. I can think about, right? <laughs> but um, the other thing that goes through my mind, it's only 10 minutes. It's only an hour. Yeah. There's only so much damage you can do in this time. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, definitely too, like the, you know, not being so hard on yourself, it takes time. And I think also it takes growth, like in terms of even just years of experience of not beating yourself up over making a mistake. Um, and certainly I know with uh, the kids, I try really hard at a young age to get them to recognize if they fail at something that you know, well, what did you learn from it? It's so critical. And do you, would you agree also that, you know, the organization needs to support that as well, an environment that allows you to fail in a sense? hundred percent. I think, you know, what ideally the organizations would do, um, and it's, it's a very interesting journey to get there, but I think we do need to learn to celebrate failures just as much as we celebrate success right? Because out of every failure, there is a new learning that we can apply somewhere else and, and the learning on how we can do things better. And there is a growth and development for the organization, but also for the team or for the individual who worked there. So if we could get to the place where we actually celebrate our failures uh, or mistakes yeah. or, you know, when something didn't work out, I think that would be a fantastic accomplishment um, and it would be great to get there. Oh, that's so good. And so I'd love to ask you as we wrap up, what other advice do you have for, you know, any woman that is particularly during COVID where, you know, they might be dealing with many, many challenges. What advice do you have for sort of moving your career forward or, you know, getting that life balance? What, what generally, what advice also do you wish you had? I think for me, it's two things. I think one is be, very, very honest with yourself, right? What is it that you as a person need, whether it's emotionally, whether it's socially, whether it's from your family, whether it's from your employer, be very, very clear on what is it that you need and then ask for it. Because no matter how crazy the ask might sound to you, chances are you're going to get a yes, right? And you're definitely going to get a no if you don't ask. Um, right. So I think so you're nowhere, you're at the same spot. <laughs> yeah. So it's not okay. going to get any worse. 
Um, yeah. for sure. So I think be honest with yourself, be real and ask the question and you'd be surprised how many times you're going to get yes versus getting a no. And then the other thing, in all honesty, I think that my career developed the way it developed only because I had phenomenal mentors along the way. And I think everybody has to have one. It doesn't have to be a person who works in your organization. It could be somebody that you met through networking or somebody you worked with before. It could be family, friend, you know, it could be a friend of your grandmother's. Um, it really doesn't matter. It's just you need, everybody needs a mentor. And I think while mentors play a very, very important role, right? They are the ones who will guide you, who will call you out, who will give you advice, who will open the doors, who will check in on you to see how you're doing. I think the mentee's role is just as important. And the advice that I wish I had when I was younger is be very proactive. You know, if you admire somebody, go to them and say, hey, I would love to learn, to learn more about how you did this. Or go to somebody and say, hey, look, this is what I'm working on. I would love your perspective and your help on A, B, and C. You know, don't walk up to them and say, hey, I need a mentor. Would you be one? Because mm -hmm. it's very, very intangible and it's very difficult to figure out what is it that you actually want from that person and what is it that you actually want them to do. So being very, very specific I think is exceptionally helpful and be open and honest about it. This is this is where I need the help and this is where I'm okay. And I think that just gets that relationship started off on the right foot and the right direction so much faster. I think that's so good. And I, especially since I think that people would be surprised as well of how much people want to actually help, but they just don't know how. Yeah. And, you know, certainly uh, one, one example I'll share with you through COVID was, um, this was another individual that I interviewed. Um, she's a president of a large, uh, company. And she said that, um, there was a woman that was going to quit her job and she, instead of quitting her job, she, uh, just because she was so overwhelmed with everything, um, related to COVID that, uh, she said, no, take some time off, take, take three months off because it was over summer and there was no childcare. It, this was pre, you know, early stages of COVID. <laughs> And then she returned back like three months later and she was being given that. And she also helped mentor her at the same time. And it was so incredible to see that, you know, had she not spoken up and said, this is what I'm dealing with right now, mm -hmm. she would have just quit her job and that would have been the end of it. And, you know, to be able to really articulate, and I, I hope that COVID's also allowed us to have that more authentic conversation that it's okay not to be okay. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so hopefully that's, but I, I can't thank you enough for your time and all your insights. Honestly, we could talk for hours. <laughs> we probably could. I am with you. It's been such a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed spending time with you today. Thanks for listening to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Latticer Jennifer and visit us on our website at www.womenleadershipnation.com. Together, we can keep breaking barriers.